Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. See, as you do that, I want to tell you a story. There's a story I heard about a, uh, a new believer, and um, there was an evangelistic emphasis, emphasis in the city that he was living in, and um, as a part of that, he was invited along, he went along, and he had an encounter with God. He gave his life to Jesus Christ, and because of this newfound faith and boldness and courage that he had, he went back to his workplace, and he tells his employer, because he's just so excited about what God's done in his life, he's like, hey... I've given my life to Jesus. I've become a Christian. And uh, the employer looks at him and he's like, that's awesome. He's like, I'm a Christian myself and I've been praying for you for years. A new believer, a little bit crestfallen or discouraged, looks at him in a bit of astonishment and says, really? He's like, why didn't you tell me that you were a Christian? He goes on to say, you are the sole reason why in all these years I've been against the gospel. And the employer looks at him and is like, are you joking? He's like, how can that be? He's like, I've tried my very best to live the Christian life and model that Christian life around you. And the employee says, that's the point. See, I looked at your life, and you live such a good, happy, model life, but you never told me that it was Jesus Christ that was the reason you could live that life, that all these years I thought if I just model after you, I'd be able to live such a good, happy life as well, but it wasn't possible. Friends, what we need to understand and realize is that having an encounter with Jesus Christ is meant to impact the people in our life and in our world, and we absolutely believe in praying for those that we're reaching out to. But the thing is, we actually have to reach out to the people that we're praying for. Someday and some point in time, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we actually have to share the gospel. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes we can just think that if we simply practice our faith in the privacy, privacy of our home, that somehow by divine coincidence, we're going to just allow people to knock into the gospel and someday just come to their own conclusion that it is Christ that is the center of our life. See, tonight, I really have it on my heart to speak to us from the topic of divine empowerment for devout discipleship. See, last Sunday, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, and we heard some amazing testimonies all day today about what God did on that day and what's been happening since that point. But we zeroed in on Pentecost, and we looked at the significance of Pentecost. And so we should stop and celebrate and glorify God for the salvations. For the people being filled and immersed with the Holy Spirit, people being filled with the power of God to be able to live that life, live the life that we're called to live. And so we should celebrate what God has done. But like Pastor Simone said, but what's happened since that day? See, the early church had the revelation that an encounter with God was meant to, le meant to lead towards a life being lived for God. I'm going to say that again, an encounter with God is meant to have a purpose in the way that we live every single day of our life. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
He didn't say you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to have sensations and great feelings in an hour service on a day. He said there's a purpose to Pentecost, and a purpose of being clothed with power is to take the message of the gospel and share it with the world everywhere that we go. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And we see in the early church as they were marked by the Holy Spirit, there are some, some characteristics as to how they lived that life out. And I'm going to speak into that in just a moment, but the essential thing we saw that characterized the early church is that they were devout followers, not consumers that spectated the gospel. They were devout followers of Jesus, not spectating consumers. You can go with me in your Bible to Acts 2. Verses 42 and on, I'm going to read. In this passage, we see some key characteristics of what it looks like to be marked by the Holy Spirit, to walk with Jesus in devout followership. It says in verse 42 this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Listen to this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see four umbrellas, if you will, of what characterized the early church and what should characterize this church. We see that there's a, a life to live, and it's not just an encounter on a day, but it's meant to be every single day. And the first umbrella of what we see characterized the early church and should characterize us is that they were devoted. And not just devoted to anything. There's four key practices that we see that they were devoted to. One of those is the apostles' teaching, which is the teachings of Jesus. See, he said in Matthew 28, go and teach what you have been taught. And so the apostles weren't just uh, grabbing out of thin air great opinions and preferences. No, they were passing on the teachings of Jesus. And so the church was devoted to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching. What else do we see? We see that the church was devoted to fellowship. It says that they had communal meals, and they were actually doing life together. They weren't consuming in the synagogue uh, and just spectating what was happening. They weren't consuming in just the home and then leaving after their bellies were full. No, they were actually engaged in doing life together. And so they're devoted to the word of God. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to communion. Just like tonight, we came around remembering the significance of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. We see that they were practicing the remembrance of communion, remembering why they were able to live a life in relationship with Jesus Christ. What else do we see? We see that they were devoted to prayer. What we need to understand is that prayer for them wasn't an event. It was a way of life. It was absolutely crucial that they were engaged in prayer because it was through prayer that they were able to see what decisions to make, where to go, who to speak to, where not to go, maybe to not get arrested. Prayer was vital to the church. It wasn't something that was just added on to their way of life. No, it was an essential ingredient to their life. And so we see that they are devoted to four key practices, the Word of God, to fellowship, 
to remembrance and communion and to prayer. So we see that they are devoted. What else do we see? We see that they were empowered. And they were empowered, it says, to do wonders and signs. And so they lived out their life, their devoted life, but the Spirit of God was upon them, empowering them so that they could point to Jesus. See, it might seem really obvious today, but what's a sign for? It's not for us to just look at the sign and think, wow, that's a great yellow. I love that yellow on that yield sign or whatever other sign it is. It's not for us just to look at and be like, man, the way that the architect just really just centered that right turn on that sign is absolutely amazing. No, signs aren't for us to just engage with by visually looking at. They're meant to send us in a direction. They're meant to actually have a purpose. And so what we see with the early church is the purpose of Pentecost was that they were empowered to be able to do wonders and signs. And these two Greek words have such significance that was vital for the life and the characteristic of a disciple. See, wonder in the Greek speaks of a miraculous wonder. Not just looking at something and scratching your head and wondering how that cloth got so tall and so high. No, it was a miraculous wonder. We heard already uh, today about miracles that have happened where doctors and medical team have been wondering how a person who had cancer no longer has cancer, how there's a tumor on a tongue no longer was there anymore. There should be a wondering when we live out our faith, but it comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of a wonder is to elicit a reaction from onlook onlookers. It's when to do something in that moment. And then the word sign here speaks not just of a sign like direction, but a miraculous sign. And it's given especially to confirm or authenticate something. And so signs and wonders for the early church were meant to authenticate their life and their belief in Jesus Christ. As they were devoted to the word, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer, there's meant to be a supernatural marking on their life. And that was wonders and signs. See, it was wonders and signs that were meant to point to the truth and the reality that is God and God alone, who's all-knowing, all-powerful, and omnipresent everywhere at the same time. Key to following Jesus as a devout follower is to be infused with the life of supernatural. So we see that they're devoted. We see that they were empowered. What else do we see? We see that they were willing and available. In this text specifically, but all through the New Testament, excuse me, it's, it shows us that they had a foundation of unity. They were united. It wasn't uniformity where everyone was dressed the exact same way and spoke the exact same way. No, they, despite their differences, were united over the vision and the mission of why they were there. They had all things in common, it says, so it's pertaining to their faith in God and their call to advance his kingdom. We see that they weren't just gathering together on one day, but it says from home to home, day by day, and in the unity, there was a generosity. See, I firmly believe that when the church gets together united, what ends up happening because we're united over advancing the kingdom of God rather than our preferences and consumerism and our personal opinions is that there's an outflow of that unity and it's love, which is generosity. See, that's a value of the kingdom of God in this church that uh, love gives generously. And so what we see with the early church, what I love about this church 
church, that there is a generosity of spirit, that there's a sharing in the spiritual and the material. The beautiful thing is when we are generous with one another, we also begin to live generous with those in our world. And they begin to see that God's heart is love, not condemnation. That he's provider, not limiter. That yes, he's just and he's good, but his heart is of a father. Church, when we begin to live united and generous, it's going to speak to the world that he is far beyond what we can find in this life. Say with me, they're devoted. Say they're empowered. They're willing. Good. You're with me today. In the last umbrellas, we see that they partnered. See, their faith wasn't about consuming something. They knew in all of these things they were partnering with the one that they had salvation in. See, as they were devoted, as they were empowered, as they were willing and available, they partnered with God and souls being saved and disciples being made. It says, in day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Recently, I was in a church service, and the um, Spirit of God absolutely broke out. Like, people were falling. People were being prophesied over. There was great encounter, tangible evidence of the Holy Spirit doing something supernatural in that moment. And as the service went on, and as I was worshiping engagement with God at a particular point, I heard these emergency uh, vehicles go by, sirens drive by outside. And then a second time, these emergency vehicles drove by outside. And it was the second time with this little whisper I just felt from the Holy Spirit. Say, Don. Just remember, what's happening in here right now must be lived and translate to those out there past this moment. See, there's purpose to Pentecost. It's beyond us having a personal spiritual encounter. It's for us to be filled and then to be sent out as witnesses to the world. But when we live in a spectating consumerism mentality as Christians, what can end up happening is we can begin to live our life built upon a whole heap of misconceptions. One of which I really feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to draw out for us today. See, what do I believe is one of the biggest misconceptions for a disciple today? It's that we believe that it is the leader's calling to fulfill my commissioning. It's a bit quiet in here right now. One of the biggest misconceptions of discipleship in a Western context is that it is the leader's calling to fulfill my commissioning. Is anybody here today? Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. I have it in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe what you have been taught. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will be clothed with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the world, to the end of the age. We aren't called to simply allow other people to make disciples on our behalf. It's a value of 
this church is a value of this church is a value of this church because the value of the kingdom of God and I'm just simply needing to drill down on this point right now because the Holy Spirit's doing stuff and so it's okay if you're not amening and shouting and hollering that's all right it's okay because sometimes the word of God is meant to actually just mess us up a little bit so that when we leave the place that we're in we're actually living different than how we came in and I'm here to tell you today that I'm not here because of a pastor that came to disciple me. See, I didn't come into the church because I thought I knew what the church was about. There was people that chose to take their commission seriously and they began to walk outside of the church bubble that they were in reaching out to a dude that had cornrows and fubu on his clothes. And they're like, is he African-American or is he not? I can't, why, can't quite tell. Yep, I was an outside-in Oreo. Um, <laughs> But I'm here today because someone took this seriously. And so I'm sorry if it's making you a little bit uncomfortable, but it's because I love you. And it's because I know that a heart of our senior pastors and each and every person that is discipling and equipping is not to make you feel comfortable, but that you would walk in your calling. There's a story about a man named Jim. You want to hear about Jim? So Jim decides he's going to go fishing one day. So he goes down a local river, fishes all day, Sheree, catches nothing. Sounds like my experience of fishing. <laughs> so you know what Jim does on his way home? He goes to the local fish market, walks into the owner and says, hey, could you just give me three of your biggest fish? The owner's like, awesome, cool. Goes over, starts grabbing the fish and starts to put them in a the bag. And Jim goes, no, 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 don't put them in a the bag. He's like, what? He's like, just throw them at me. The owner looks at him like, this dude's insane. I'm going to back up a little bit. He's like, now why in the world would I do that? And Jim's like, simple, so I can go home and tell my wife that I caught three fish today. I may or may not have done that myself. It's kind of funny, but when I heard this story, I couldn't help get out of my mind how much this can be an illustration of some Christians in their walk with God. And we've maybe even just stopped even going down to the river, a.k.a. the people in our life, the world, and we've stopped fishing altogether, and we've simply just gone to the local fish market, a.k.a. the church, and we're asking the owner, a.k.a. God, to just throw us some fish that other people reached out and shared the gospel to so that we can build our life group, or we can build our ministry team, or we can build our own Christian portfolio thinking that we caught some fish, and so we can actually be disciple makers by the ones that other people reached. And yet what we need to hear is that if more disciples don't teach, some people won't be reached. More disciples don't teach, some people won't be taught. I'm going to give you a little bit of an illustration here. Let's say you've got a friend named Janice. I don't know. <laughs> Pastor Joe, you brought Janice. No, it wouldn't be Pastor Joe. Anyone. Let's say you brought Janice to church, okay? One of two things are going to happen if you, choose, if you chose to bring a friend or family member to church and then expected the leader to disciple them on your behalf, one or two things is going to happen, most likely. Either I, let's say, as a leader, location pastor, I'm going to step in and I'm going to begin to disciple Janice on your behalf. 
But what will end up happening is if I begin to disciple Janice on your behalf is I no longer will be able to have that time that I maybe was already investing into discipling somebody that was only able for me to disciple in my relational world. And so I've left the time there and I've gone over to begin to disciple Janice on your behalf as someone in your relational world that maybe only you can disciple. And then what ends up happening is that there's some people that won't continue to be taught. Or a second thing might happen is you bring Janice to church, and I said, good, good day, good to meet you. What's your name? Janice. Wonderful. We've got coffee in the foyer. Pastor Dave Hickman's going to be out there. He knows how to break dance. Have a great conversation with him. And I will leave, and I will continue to invest into the people that I've prayed into discipling that I've begun to share the gospel with, that I've begun to be able to invest time and energy into, maybe that only I can. And unless someone else or yourself begins to just step up to the plate and begins to uh, teach Janice what they've been taught or what you've been taught, then Janice herself is just simply not going to be taught. Friends, we need to come to understand that if more disciples don't begin to teach others what they've been taught, then some people just simply won't be taught. And I know that it's much broader than me, or expecting just simply a location pastor, another leader to disciple people on your behalf, but I just can't get away from the thought and the understanding in the early church that they were disciple devoted, not leader dependent. They were disciple devoted, not leader dependent. And there's a word that Pastor Corey spoke of faith into our staff meeting just the other day. And not only did it confirm for me the message for today, but it began to just uh, bubble in my heart and just stir something of faith for myself to begin to believe something beyond comprehension that God wants to do here. But I'm telling you today, it's not going to happen unless we continue or begin to be disciple devoted. Devout followers of Jesus Christ. And in Acts 2, we see just before verses 42 to 47, context of that moment is the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was poured out, the 120 that were in the upper room were immersed with power from on high. Peter gets up, preaches the gospel. And as he preaches the gospel, here we go, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized. On the June 19th, there's baptisms. Be baptized if you haven't. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Listen to this. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Anybody else get excited about that? In one moment, in one day, someone stood up in the power of the Holy Spirit and declared the gospel. 
3,000 people on that day were convicted by the Holy Spirit, responded, and then they were taught. What do we do? You repent, you get water baptized, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 were added to that day. And so when we begin to look at what happens in verses 42 to 47, it's not just a handful of people. It's 3,000, about 120 people probably at that point that were living out this devout followership of Jesus. Talk about revival, 3,000 people on one day. And I'm reading that, and then I began to just have these thoughts and these questions that began to kind of come to my mind as I'm reading that, and I began to think to myself, do you think maybe in that context it would have been possible for 12 people to disciple 3,000? I was like, nah. Nah. But if they were leader dependent upon the 12 apostles, 3,000 people get saved. One, I actually don't think God would have done that in his grace if there wasn't a discipleship culture. There's no way that 12 disciples, 12 apostles could have discipled 3,000 people. And I began to think about that. And I was like, man, there must have been a discipleship culture in the 120, so much to the point that when 3,000 people were saved, it's kind of like, okay, cool, you're starting a group, you're starting a group, yep, you're taking those three, okay, you can take 15, yep, you open up your home. And if we look at that, there's about 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. We do some basic maths, I need it to be basic. You take 3,000 divided by 120, it's about 25 people per one person that was there. Now, we know contextually that would have not been accurate because you can't just clinically assign things, but we kind of begin to get the picture where if maybe, just maybe, we're in an upper room environment with 120, it could have probably been a little bit easy to be in the back of our prayer and healing service or prayer and power, and we come in for a couple of minutes or 30 minutes, and we're back here, and we're worshiping and engaging. Well, guess what What happens when 3,000 people get out of the church? From the first to the last, you now have someone that you need to disciple, you need to teach what you've been taught, because I'm so Sorry, friend, but it's just not going to cut it for you to expect me as the apostle to disciple someone on your behalf. So here's the question, 5 p.m. service. If the Lord added 3,000 people to our number today, would we be able to disciple them effectively? Just let that sink for a moment. I was asking myself that question, and maybe, just maybe, the answer to that today is not yet. Not yet. Today. But my prayer is that as we continue to engage in the things of God, devoted, empowered, willing and able and partnering with God, there will come a day where we will be able to see not just 3,000, but 3,000 plus people discipled. And I'm not just talking about Numa Global, I'm talking about this service. A couple of people believe it. I believe it because I've stood in that corner of the room early mornings praying, and I can see this room filled. 
I stood over there in worship today and I saw this place filled with people. And I know it's our pastor's heart that we would see more and more and more and more and more and more and more people reached and more and more and more people discipled. It might freak you out, kind of freaks me out of my flesh. That's all right. Because what I've come to realize is God is more ready and willing to engage us in making disciples than what we think we are ready and willing to do ourselves. And so if we're going to move from being a consumer to living out a commission, what must we do? Well, each and every one of us must devote ourselves to being a disciple of Jesus. It says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many, love that, wonders and signs are being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. You know what's going to require of us to be devoted as disciples of Jesus? I'm glad you asked. You still with me today? Good. It's going to require, number one, new patterns, habits, and spiritual discipline. See, we cannot continue to live our life how we were pre-Christ and pre-salvation and expect a different result. It's called insanity. And we don't really need, Pastor Corey and Pastor Simone, any more insane Christians walking around this world. There's enough in America. <laughs> new patterns, habits, and spiritual disciplines. You know what else it's going to require of us? It's going to require deepening relationships. Primarily with God, first and foremost, deepening relationships in our personal intimacy with Him through the study of word, through prayer, through fasting, through spiritual disciplines. It's going to require deepening relationships with other believers. You're going to actually get, have to get to know some other believers. Look down your row right now. How many people in your row do you know? It's a hypothetical question. Hopefully you know more after that moment. But we're going to have to get to know other believers in a walk with God. And two of the most consistent ways we're able to do that is in life group and ministry team. Does that sound familiar at all to you? This little thing called Numa Discipleship? Where every single Wednesday, see, it's not an event in the calendar. It's a pathway and they're mile markers for us to be able to engage in our walk with God as we are maturing. See, why do we have team advance? It's to be equipped. Why do we have life group? To be equipped, to be discipled, to grow. Why do we have prayer, power, so that we can engage in the things of God, be filled up, and then continue to minister everywhere that we go? And it's going to require that we actually start teaching some people. And we begin to teach other people what we have been taught. And then someday, in some way, in somewhere, we're going to just have to begin to teach other people that the reason we have a hope in this life is because of Jesus Christ. And we're going to have to not just teach other Christians what we've been taught, but begin, to con begin or continue to share our faith in Jesus confidently. In the Berlin Art Gallery, apparently there's a painting by the famous artist Mengele. It's only partially finished. And uh, it was supposed to be a painting of King Frederick of Germany talking to his generals. But Mengel, when he began to paint it, he painstakingly began to uh, paint the generals first. And um, it only left a little small bare point on the painting. And long story short, he began with the generals and that was bare there. But he died before he was able to finish the painting. And so there there is in the Berlin Art Gallery a painting with generals but no king. Friends, you and I must not allow ourselves to put, for, to put first 
sorry, generals of insignificance in our life, like possessions and things and preferences and just a spiritual encounter and forget the king of kings. We must let go of the things of this world and engage with putting the king of kings first. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Would you all stand? See, why is it paramount that we live divinely empowered as devout disciples? Because it's then and in this place that revival breaks out and cities and nations are discipled. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. As we read through Acts, not just on this encounter on this day, but as we read through Acts, what we see is the disciples, they came, they encountered God, and they went out and they ministered to others about God. In Acts 4, we see after a bit of persecution because they moved in wonders and signs, they're told to be quiet. They're told to not share the gospel. And so what do they do in response? They got together and had a prayer meeting. They said, God, would you fill us with your spirit that we would have boldness and courage to declare your word your word as we are. And what happened in that moment, it's a place shook. And it says they were all filled with the spirit. They continued to share the word of God. What do we see in Acts 5? We see that it went from about 3,000 to 5,000. See, they were so committed to following Jesus that there was a tangible reality between their encounter and the people that they were encountering, so much so that others were recognizing that it was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that they were living by and that these other people saw that they needed themselves. Friends, the vision of this church, our church, is to plant 200 new churches across four global hubs that carry a spirit of revival. Two, small word, ultimately important. Two, 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 disciple cities and nations. Could you close your eyes for a moment? Sometimes we need to close our physical eyes to picture what God is doing in the spirit for dreams and visions to come. And I believe right now that faith is rising. It's been imparted. To plant 200 new churches across four global hubs that carry a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. You know what that looks like? for us in this room today and those that we reach tomorrow. It looks like a community. And I want you to picture this right now. Allow the Spirit of God to bring faces and names and maybe nations, people to your mind right now. There has to be an outlet to our encounter with God. Allow Him to speak to you right now. But you know what this looks like as we live as devout disciples? It looks like a community of believers who are living beyond themselves for bigger things and a personal motive and an agenda. It looks like them living out the culture and the commissioning of the kingdom of God. So much so that the broader community is impacted, influenced, and begins to be discipled for the things of God. 
It looks like disciples who have devoted themselves to following Jesus, who are empowered to see signs and wonders that point people to God, not to themselves, not to their Instagram page, not to their own motives, but to God. A group of disciples who are living in unity, and out of that unity, there's a generosity of spirit, of heart, of resource, of time of finance, and it's in that place where love is seen to be evident in the community. You know what it looks like for you and I today? It looks like a group of people who have let go living for themselves and have joined with God and seen lives transformed and disciples made. You know why I'm so passionate about this? It's because I'm absolutely convinced that it's devout Christianity that leads to transformation generationally. I'm gonna say that again. It's devout Christianity that leads to transformation generationally. God hasn't called us to be a fireworks church, but a light on a hill, burning brightly. And I just wonder today, I just wonder today if anyone else is hungry for more of God is ready to move past consumerism. And what am I gonna get out of this meeting? But is being filled with the Spirit of God knowing because you need it tomorrow. There's a cafe catch up the next day and you don't quite know what to say to your auntie who's been so hesitant and resistant to the gospel. I just wonder today if in this 5 p.m. service, if anyone else is hungry for more of God for the sake of reaching other people. Before we go into some time of encounter and worship, there's a story of a man who gave his life to God, encountered Jesus, and began to live for him, and yet he was he had committed a crime before his conversion, and um, the judge and the defense attorney noticed that because of God, because he shared why there was so much transformation in his life, that there had been transformation, there had been change, but they wanted some form of justice, and so they said, well, you just need to actually uh, serve your time. And so they sen sentenced him into short-term prison for six months. Sunday before he left, came in, pastors, leaders, life group, people knew what was happening. And so they got him out, they prayed for him, they laid their hands on him, and they commissioned him as a missionary into a field that no one else was gonna be able to go. And because he had a mindset that he wasn't there to consume, but he was commissioned to witness. You know what happened? Over 12 months, 60 of the 110 prisoners that he was there with gave their life to Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. See, when we get comfortable getting uncomfortable, God can do something that is supernatural in all life and in everywhere that we go. And friends, the opportunity is all around about us. We don't have to be sent to prison to witness of the gospel everywhere that we go. Last story, yesterday, Hannah and I were having a garage sale, trying to get rid of some stuff. Didn't realize it was a long weekend, first mistake. Anyways, people are coming in, some characters, I tell you what, go to garage sales. But this one dude comes in and um, he starts having a conversation. He's like, why are you getting rid of stuff? I said, we're moving to the United States. He's like, why are you moving to the United States? He said, because we're planning a church. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. I was like, what did you know? He's like, I, there's some vibes that you're giving me. I was like, okay. 
all right. And he's like, is, are you like a born again Christian or something? I was like, you got it. And in 30 seconds, I began to testify of the reason why I'm living for Jesus. 30 seconds, began to testify to him the hope that I've found in God and in God alone. And you could just see his face kind of begin to turn and change. And Hannah and I are there, Mel's in the background, they're sorting some stuff. And I'm telling this dude that it's only in Jesus that we can have contentment and satisfaction for our life. He stops, walks over, grabs some kettlebells. I'm like, yep, good, grab those. <laughs> Continue to talk about life. He begins to talk about mental illness that he had during COVID, relationship with his wife. And he begins to say these things and then pause. And I began to just speak in every single instance that he shared. I'm like, yep, I understand that. But this is the thing. We can't find hope. We can't find contentment in another person. We can't find hope. We can't find contentment in something of this world. And in a matter of five minutes, this man not only picked up some kettlebells and some other things, but he walked out knowing that it's Jesus Christ and in Christ alone that there is hope, that there is salvation, that there is peace, that there is contentment. I'm telling you today, if we would open our eyes and allow ourselves to live devout in the following of Jesus, you will begin to see the people in your world. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.